I'm Tyler, and with me as always is Dave. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's going all right. Just like going to a diner late at night, taking a shot of syrup. This is probably a bad idea for a podcast, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about this week. We're going to, later in the show, get into what does game preservation looks like after Nintendo really pissed us off this week. I guess I'm a little behind on that thing, because uh, the only thing I heard about uh, Nintendo doing this week was... Uh... All they did was make a lot of my students happy, but that's because they're all big Animal Crossing fans. So maybe uh, they made well, them happy, but not other folks. We will get into it. Um, but first, let's start off with what we've been playing. And now, Dave, I know you said you haven't really been playing much this week. able to play some, just nowhere near as much as I want to. But I have been doing game-related things. See, like uh, you know... Being an art teacher and such, I also do my own artwork, and I have been working on a rather, lar rather large painting that I finally decided to bring home from work to hopefully, knock on wood, finish up this weekend. But um, it is a massive picture of uh, characters from Arms. And, oh, nice. uh, yeah, it, so I got Twintel battling Min Min. And uh, I, I'm, it is probably about 95% complete. But the thing is, though, the thing is a very large painting canvas. So even with 95%, that small 5% can still take several hours to finish up. Fair, and it also, doesn't, it also doesn't help that I keep finding, like, little spots on the paint. Or because it's so big, if I, like, move or shift my hand, I might transfer a little from my hand to another area. And I got to... I'm trying to be absolutely as careful as possible. And then what's even worse is I've already got my plans for my next painting after this, and then the one after that. So uh, it's never ending, but I can say for sure that I've decided that the next one is going to be uh, based around the movie movies Tron and Tron Legacy. So nice. I'm looking forward to that. The Grid. A digital frontier. Yeah. Uh, uh, that soundtrack. That actually, soundtrack Tron, Tron yeah, Legacy, I really enjoyed as well. I just... I know Tron I 3 has basically been stuck in limbo forever. <laughs> yeah. Tron Legacy, I, I enjoy watching. Um, I do think they kind of overstepped with the young uh, Jeff Bridges. Or... or No, it's not. Is it Jeff Bridges? Jeff Bridges, you're right. They didn't quite have the level of technology that they did with the uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Captain Marvel just yet. <laughs> right, right. So Now, I would argue young Jeff Bridges makes sense looking like that because in the movie he is a program copy of real Jeff Bridges. So it makes sense he looks a little like a computer program. I'm like, okay. But then in the scenes where they have young Jeff Bridges, Bridges work, yeah, yeah, that's a bit crap. But that is a, a smidgen. It yeah. It, so when he but when he's the character Clue in the computer world, then I'm like, I'm fine with that. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I'm excited to see that art whenever it's finished, Dave. Yeah. No, I've been. I thought I've been posting maybe progress pictures to you guys in the uh, group text that we have for all the members of the podcast. But 
I might not have updated that as recently as others that I've been doing. And the problem is I've also got uh, other paintings I've been working on. I've currently been working at three at a time, but uh, the thing is I like to work on artwork when the students are working in artwork in class. So I'm not, it's not like I'm blowing them off. No, never. But in art class, especially high school, when they are doing their work and just working and there's no problems, no one has a question or nothing, uh, I'm not one to sit at my computer in the room. I don't do that. I always stay standing so I can immediately address anything that comes up in the classroom. But at the same time, that does lead for, on occasion, uh, a little more downtime than I guess would maybe for a normal classroom. So, you know, if I don't have anything due or grade wise, that's when I will like, okay, maybe we can sketch out something. And I think the kids do appreciate though, that they have an art teacher who actually is an art maker as well, because so many seem to uh, complain that they don't get to make their own art because they're too busy at work making artwork there. And I'm like, well, then why don't you make the artwork for work, the artwork you want to make? So like for a couple of years ago, I was showing the students, we were learning how to do charcoal portraits and charcoal drawing. So uh, we all went to the library. We all printed out pictures to do for our charcoal drawings. And my only stipulation with the students was, it has to be a real picture. If you want to do a character, you can. But let's say, if you want to do Doctor Strange, I better see Benedict Cumberbatch's face on your picture that you print out. <laughs> and so uh, I decided I wanted to do Hellboy. So I printed out Ron Perl, a portrait of Ron Perlman, and used that actually as an example for the class. So that way, because some students, they're fine with you touching their artwork to do like a little suggestion. Other right. students... No, you don't touch their artwork. So to help nail that situation in the bud, I can just go, hey, let's take a look at what I'm doing, and I can show you an example on it, and we can you know, be a little hands-on with that. So that alleviates both problems. So you know, that's what I like to do. But uh, you know, the ARMS project has taken a long time, and so the students are like, when are you going to finish that up? You've been working on it since what, the beginning of September? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because you guys are the priority, not painting this picture. <laughs> right. Well, like I said, can't wait to see it. Yep. Uh, so, other than that, the only game I have touched this week is uh, I plugged in Street Fighter V a couple times. And that's really been it. <laughs> been trying out the new characters, right? Yes, I, I did buy uh, Season... Five, I believe, the last season. And I have, uh, I think, officially gotten out all the DLC for that game, which really, in retrospect... Until the last character comes out. Because yeah, you, in... you bought him, but he's yeah, he's not out yet. Yeah, but I also bought the uh, the breast cancer uh, costumes for that are going to charity. I thought that was really nice. And I'm still kind of nice. kicking myself for not doing that for, uh, with Mercy in... Uh, overwatch so uh and then uh i've also uh, i bought the uh costumes for the uh, the capcom cup and the the money from that goes to like the winning school for the uh capcom uh esports program so i have no problem with that so much very nice 
Yep, I'm 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 doing my part <laughs> <laughs> by buying a pink costume for Reeve. <laughs> I imagine he looked pretty sharp in pink. Uh, or is that know, just a people... palette swap to Dan Hibiki? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they actually did, you know, actual work. They didn't just make it costume swaps. So I would actually argue that the Chun Li costume actually looks pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a really cool costume, and, and it's just funny to make the comparison. But because I've been looking at a lot of imagery from Tron and Tron Legacy, uh, her outfit reminds me a bit of like some of the uh, designs on like a Tron Legacy outfit, not like the ones that are glaring in your face with like the bright lights. Mm-hmm. But I've been doing a lot of research on Olivia Wilde's costume for that. And there was actually a lot of kind of designs in the black fabrics used to make the costume that you really? don't notice as much because there's these bright blinding blue lights on the costume. So, and so that's what I'm seeing a lot of that in the pink and the black for the costume. So, I I thought it was cool. <laughs> nice. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Now, I careful! Have... It's only for a limited time. <laughs> Fear of losing out. Folo. Yep. yep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I have actually been playing quite a bit this week. Uh, Metroid Dread came out. I have not played mm-hmm. that. But I have fixed a gaming sin. Mm. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did pick up the special edition. Uh, nice. It came on a day when the students were uh, in the middle of a match and... Uh, but they were all really cool about it. Oh, hold up that case so we can see it. Yeah, so I did get it, but uh, again, I haven't plugged it in yet. And I want to finish Scarlet Nexus first. Fair, completely fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I was going to say was I did fix a glaring omission in my video gaming uh, history. Yeah, so remember you texting me about this. <laughs> I played and beat Metro or Super Metroid, Metroid Prime or Metroid Three. <laughs> And I gotta say, yep. that here's here's my quick review of the game. Level design is out of this world. It, I wish more games would have secrets like that where you can't really tell there's a secret there. You just mm-hmm. have to basically blast everything. I love yeah. that. I thought that was mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, but Tyler, David Jaffe says that's poor level and gaming design and antiquated. <laughs> Did you not see I, that controversy? That <laughs> I, I I saw it. I have. Words. I think he was actually more lampooned by his uh, uh, Twitter followers than anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it was just one of those moments. I think you're wrong, Grandpa. You know. <laughs> oh, it was. He is so wrong. That mm-hmm. again, masterclass in level design and game design, in atmosphere. How much atmosphere oh, yeah. they were able to put in into a 2D sprite-based game is mm-hmm. unreal. The um, sunken ship is pretty terrifying, oh, yeah. if I recall. Now, oh, I beat I'm... the game in 8th grade, and uh, I was doing poor... Uh, I did very well, but for some reason, I could not figure out that you could blow up that uh, glass tube to enter uh, Meridian, right? Mm-hmm. And so I uh, 
I ordered the strategy guide from Nintendo because they had uh, an online, well, they still have, still have an online store, but it would sell old issues of Nintendo Power and their strategy guides. And this was well into uh, almost the end of the Nintendo 64's life cycle, and I ordered it from them, and it arrived, and it's just like, blow up the pipe, and it's just like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> See, that that wasn't the part that got me stuck. I, I got stuck uh, just... I, I had overlooked one area where I needed to get um, the space jump. Um, but when I got that, I finally made it through. Uh, I gotta say, my favorite area was Norfair. Uh, like, mm-hmm. leading up to the Ridley fight. That just felt like I was in the bowels of hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. You, you the hell of Planet Zebas. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So. So, like I said, level design, atmosphere, music, ten out of tens. The one thing that I don't think stands up to the test of time, and has been improved on by the games I have played, Metroid uh, Fusion and Metroid Zero Mission, mm-hmm. is the control. I don't. I feel like Samus was a little too imprecise with her movements yeah they definitely have improved the movement of her in all the games since and uh i i I have a feeling that the metroid developers have speed running in mind especially with all of the multiple different endings and so i wonder if they took that into consideration whereas uh samus initially uh in super metroid it was like she had some well-worn breaks whereas in fusion and zero mission uh they were brand Turn on a dime yeah 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 uh, i'm just thinking like the jumps and how imprecise some of they some of they some of the jumps were just trying to get onto a specific platform especially when you were underwater oh until you get uh, that good old gravity suit <laughs> oh oh bless the gravity suit just mm-hmm. <laughs> Just, oh, but well, like I remember I said, how much of a pain it was to learn the uh, wall jump in the area where you get stuck. You <laughs> see, I I had no trouble with the wall jump. Yeah, I was having a little bit of difficulty. Well, remember, I was in eighth grade. And, uh, uh, you know, fair, fair. <laughs> but when you're in eighth grade, you're basically just a functioning idiot, you know. <laughs> the only part I had trouble with, because I'm thinking you're talking about with the cute little koala-like things. Yeah, the the Edicoons, and I believe the ostrich one is the Dracora? Question mark? I forgot their names, but they are in Metroid Fusion. Yep, they are. You can find them in one of the habitats. Yep. So, like I said, if you've never played it, go out and play Super Metroid. You can see Mm -hmm. how this one game, even though it didn't sell very well, influence pretty much everything that we play today. Mm-hmm. Oh, so and especially would, the Castlevania series. <laughs> especially, oh, yeah, Symphony Symphony of the Night has so much it owes to Metroid. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but, going from one Metroidvania to another, mm-hmm. I have, a long time ago I started but didn't get very far. I have now gotten back into Hollow Knight. Oh, okay. Um, very precise turn on a dime, mm-hmm. but it is the flipping. I hate I hate this expression, but I'm using it. 
it's the Dark Souls of of, of Metroid. Metroidvanias. Yeah, I have heard that. Uh, specifically, <laughs> Dave, if you die, mm-hmm. you leave a ghost behind that has all your money. Okay. And you get there's a uh, bar or a like a vial that you use to uh, collect souls in the mm-hmm. game. When you die, it breaks and you can't hold as many until you get your ghost back. Oh, do you have to fight so your you, ghost to get it back? Yeah, but it only takes two hits. Hmm. I got you. In Bloodborne, that could be more of a problem because you could drop all your blood echoes and then a monster could find it and eat it and you would know it was them by their glowing uh, like purple eyes and they always seem to be a bit tougher than they already were. <laughs> yeah, it was basically like them eating steroids. Mm-hmm. Yep. I still love that game, though, but it actually, at the time, gave me legit anxiety attacks at times. I could never get into it. It just mm. it just was not for me. Not just saying that it was a bad game. It just, I felt like the controls were too imprecise. Mm. And I'm, I'm all about twitchy figure precision. <laughs> uh, going into the last game that I've really been playing... Back for Blood. Mm. Now, I'm going to preface this with I have not played it online yet. I've only been doing solo campaign. Okay. Uh, where you've got uh, three bots. And if you die, you take over one of the bots. Oh, okay. That game is so much fun, Dave. It is <laughs> so much fun. Uh, I love... Come... Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I loved our old days of uh, Left for Dead. and. There's more than a little bit of a nod to Left 4 Dead. Nice. Um, some of the monsters are just straight up ripoffs. You've got. <laughs> I was discussing this with students the other day, in that uh, we were looking at the trailer when it came out. We were just pretty much just like, I think all they did was combine the hunter and the spitter with this one, and then this one is basically the smoker. <laughs> yeah pretty much um now here's one thing that i thought was really cool playing it mm-hmm. so these uh those special enemies like those they all mm-hmm. have um weak spots on them like giant bulging pus things okay like the i think i forget the exact name but i think that the grabber in this game where it's got a giant arm made mm-hmm, of like tentacles mm-hmm. yeah usually it's on its shoulder yeah but it's not always they randomize it okay so so you never are 100 percent sure where the weak spot's going to be uh the ones the one that replaced the uh uh what was the guy that exploded in left for dead what was his name the boomer yes the boomer usually it's on his chest sometimes Mm -hmm. it's on the back of its neck sometimes it's yeah (laughs) oh and this boomer has one trick that the old boomer doesn't have yeah. It can now also vomit uh like across the screen. Oh geez. where it tracks it <laughs> attracts them. Well I'm looking um, forward to playing it with you. I uh did pick it up today. I, I didn't get to plug it in though. And uh I picked it up though technically I bought the PS4 disc, but it is a free it, upgrade. So I, yeah, so 
I went ahead. Normally, I would have rather just had the PS5 copy, but I didn't want to go around shopping around town. I, I just wanted to get home after this morning. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, here is one thing that is a little bit different than Leopard Dead, and this is one of the things I really like about this game, is the card system. So I've been hearing can, about this, yeah. So the way the card system works is you can build a deck where you kind of randomly draw between each mission, and they're basically stat boosts. Would you like a little bit more health? Would you like a little bit more weapons? Do you want to be able to carry a second toolkit to open doors? Oh, okay. Um, at the start of each mission in the safe houses, there's also mm -hmm. a chest where you can go make purchases, including purchases that impact the whole group, because there are some of these buffs that buff everyone. Okay. And the guns also have individual stats. So not all shotguns are the same. You actually get higher level ones and get higher level attachments to them as you go through the missions. See. So as you're going through there, you can kind of like, no, this is worse than what I've got right now. I want this. Um, you really feel a sense of progression in terms of your power, how strong you are. That you, I didn't feel you ever gotten Left for Dead. Um, mm -hmm. Left 4 Dead was more just this is what it is. This is yep. more hey, we could actually possibly make it out. Mm -hmm. Now to counter this, there are corruption cards that are played each turn as well, or each okay. mission as well. Now I've only mm -hmm. played it on easy thus far, but they will add things like fog where you can't see more than about ten feet in front of you. I got you. Nice. And oh. <laughs> there is one mission that I'm hoping to play with you tonight if you have time tonight. I I probably won't have time tonight. Sorry, man. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. There's one mission, though, that I don't want to spoil just because you need to experience it. Okay, okay. Well, we'll play it, it is, together. <laughs> okay. It, mm -hmm. it is one of the coolest gaming moments I can remember in a good long time. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, Don't no spoilers. <laughs> yep. But I am glad uh, to hear that it's got a lot and i mean it's the same developers uh from the left for dead series it's just did a valve not wanting to make games anymore and i, I don't consider half-life vr you know really half-life alex yeah yeah I mean, that was just basically that was just throwing the, the breadcrumbs you know to, to the peasants here you know it's just like we own steam we don't have to make games we don't they have to, count to three. Count, they can't count to three. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what would be even worse is if they just released Orange Box Two and it has all of that in there, but none of it is called, uh, you know, like Half Life Three or Left for Dead Three. You know, Team Fortress Three. It's just the Orange Box Two. <laughs> See, if if it was me, I would call it the Orange Cube. Cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, last thing real fast. Um, I have also been, still been playing the Pokemon trading card game. Mm -hmm. And they had their celebrations packs come out this week. Okay. And now, I is had, this with uh, the nonsense that you were messaging me earlier about today? <laughs> no, that is separate. That is separate. Okay, yeah, we'll yeah, talk we'll, about that in a minute, folks. <laughs> yeah. I pulled two amazing cards this week, Dave. All right, I'm, all right. The first one. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> it is a reprint where the entire card is textured of Blastoise. 
Nice. I am so excited. This was my favorite card growing up. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. The other cool card I grew... Now, mind you, this isn't from the um, Celebrations packs, but it came in one of the packages I got. Oh, okay. That is a Charizard Gigantamax. Nice. <laughs> I'm going to hold on to this, but its average selling price is around 70 bucks right now. Oh, nice. That is actually about what I sold my uh, first edition Charizard card at the height of the initial pass. And I know a lot of people are kind of kicking me, like, oh, you shouldn't have sold it then. Okay, here's the thing, guys. Uh, we didn't know if Pokemon was going to come back or not at the time. <laughs> oh, but here's the thing. It... Oh, it definitely came back, but uh, the copy of Mario Party 2 that I, still, that I bought with the money and still have in box, it's also appreciated in value as well. So, true. It's yeah. true. Uh, which is kind of leading us into our main topic tonight, which is the uh, game preservation. But first, mm -hmm. a word from our sponsor. A word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Syrup Shots Gaming Podcast. Like going to a diner late at night, taking a shot of syrup. It's probably a bad idea, but we're going to do it anyway. If you like this content, please leave a like, comment, subscribe. You know that usual general stuff that people ask you to do. Uh, what's that? You want to leave us a review? Fantastic. You can leave a five-star review, wink, wink, at uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get this great content. Thank you for choosing to listen to us, and we look forward to bringing you more dumb content in the future. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. So, game preservation. So let, let me set the stage for you, Dave, because you said you haven't really been following this week. Yeah. Okay? I've uh, just been so busy. Haven't been able to watch the the news. Life, the press life, life happens. So, yeah. Nintendo and announced the, finally announced the details of their online expansion pass. So, for anyone who doesn't know what the expansion pass is, is it was going to give you N sixty four and Sega Genesis games. Along that's really with, all I recall hearing. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was going to start off with like ten on each. Um, some classic games. I can't, me personally can't wait to play F Zero X again. That was a that was a game that was in sixty frames back then. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you think that was pr the price for that add-on was going to be, Dave? If you had to ballpark it, if I had to ballpark it, I could have seen. I mean, I I know what it is based on what you guys were saying. Yeah. Uh, now I would have probably ballparked it, as, and, and and I'm just think spitballing here because based on what we got, because like average Nintendo cost right now is twenty bucks, and you get mm -hmm. access to the NES and the SNES library. So I was probably going to estimate fifteen to twenty because you're getting two additional systems. See, and I would have argued that it should have been ten dollars because that initial one, yes, it gives you NES, SNES. It also allows you to play any of your uh, Switch games online. It also gets you Tetris 99 and Pac-Man 99. Hmm, okay. Okay? I need to download Pac-Man 99. <laughs> without, without that base $20 package, mm -hmm. you can't play online. That is really what the it's supposed to be paying. You're really supposed to be paying yeah, for yeah. is the mm -hmm. servers. Okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 30 additional dollars, $50 mm -hmm. for this. Uh, I think it's 80 if you do the family plan. 
Yes, luckily I don't have to worry about that at this point. Uh, I know that's a hard pill for some people to swallow, and I do understand, but at the same time, the way I'm looking at it is, um, are they adding more online infrastructure? Because they had been, had been in talks about redoing. Oh, they haven't changed that. Okay. Well, that colors my opinion much differently. <laughs> But, uh, see, I was of the opinion they were doing that, but I also have to look at it like, well, Xbox and Sony charge 60 for a year, and they've been constantly been whining about possibly boosting that amount, too. So, so I'm going to play devil's... I'm, I'm going to counter that for a second here. Yes, mm -hmm. they pay... You pay 60 for Xbox or PlayStation. Mm -hmm. But you also get... Two games a year or a month with Sony's and with X or four with uh, Xboxes. Mm -hmm. You also can use game chat. I can chat through my console without having to hook my phone up like it's some weird sex crime in Japan. <laughs> yeah, daisy chaining with your phone and your Switch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nintendo really, uh, uh, for lack of better words, crapped the bed on that. I will give you that. I mean, it's kind of fun with the Splatoon app, and you know, like, oh, it's the online shop for Splatoon. Oh, that's cute. What other games can do this? Smash Bros. And... Animal Crossing. And Animal I believe Crossing, that yeah. Is it. I believe that is it. That is it. That is it. And it's just like, Nintendo, I would have gone crazy with this you know really make the phone app kind of this you know cool thing you know maybe it can interact with your nintendo mobile games and you can send cool stuff from between the switch app to your switch you know and then that way you could definitely keep your mobile games which you charge with microtransactions completely separate but still have a link to but that's me there are times where Nintendo, it's just kind of like, they are the avant-garde uh, artists of the gaming world. There are times when they will produce these wonderful artiste works that set the standard for video games to come. And then there's just some times, though, where they do a Marcel Duchamp and they just put a urinal and sign a name on it. And just like, this is art. <laughs> that is a urinal filled with tea <laughs> yes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but this got me thinking here uh, about a deeper uh, question here because mm -hmm. with this you're paying that 30 bucks extra month but you don't get to keep any of the games oh no and that's with all of the game uh consoles right now i mean yeah that's true you get the games for free and, and well let's put some air quotes on that and it's nice, but really what it is, is it's a a glorified long-term rental. <laughs> yes. And if that surface effort goes down, you're SOL. Yeah, unless they, uh, and I could see some companies doing this, not all, but I would hope that enough companies, after a console has had like a good, long, successive run, that at the end... I would just make it so that way, hey, guys, we've had a good long run. We're going to shut down the PlayStation 3 servers, but here's how it's going to work. All right. And I'm just speaking hypothetically like a PS3 had 
you know, like uh, the PS Plus method. Here's the thing, though. We're really not making much money off of these games. Any that were free at one point and you have on your system now, you can keep. All right? We, you just you download the little file that toggles the switch that, like, oh, this doesn't need an internet connection anymore. Congratulations, it's yours. We're not going to let you download them, you know, now, but if you already have it, that's how this works, you know. That's what I would do. And I think that would leave uh, a lot of goodwill towards uh, game systems and the publishers and the companies that manufacture them in, you know, like leaving kind of a legacy with a certain system. But that's me, all right? And really, that's... With game preservation, it's one of those things. I just don't understand companies sometimes. I don't understand why gaming to them is such a disposable medium and why the preservation aspect is usually so back buttwards. <laughs> All right? Because we have basically lost games to time uh if they don't exist as physical media and and even then the physical media unfortunately while i am a proud collector of gaming memorabilia uh there is a, a lifespan for these products now i try and keep my stuff in as good a condition so it will last at least my lifetime but i know that if i were to try and will those to someone or something after I'm gone, uh, I, I probably would actually look into possibly like a video game preservation society uh, and maybe, you know, will it to them because there are groups online. And unfortunately, the problem is a lot of these companies label these as pirates and, and piracy for emulating. But at the same time, I'm like, you are not tangibly making money off of this. You have abandoned this. And these are trying the only ways right now that we have for actual preservation. Like, to put it in perspective, Square Enix completely deleted the original source code for Kingdom Hearts. So when it came to time to remaster it, they had to completely remake it from the ground up. I did not know that. Yeah, they screwed the pooch on that one. They messed up. And so, and even then, there's sometimes, though, where it's just like, some companies are like, oh, emulators are so bad. And I have my own personal grievances with emulators. I hate the people that, oh, the newest game came out. Better go steal it. And it's just like, thanks, guy. You know, you're one of the reasons why game costs keep going up, aside from the other myriad things. But with this older stuff, though, that a company is not actively like re-releasing constantly, that is where I am happy to kind of dwell in the gray area for game preservation. And I I fully support people who are more game preservation uh, <laughs> preservationers. I don't preservers. I can't talking today. <laughs> I can't talk. I like tater tots. Yep. <laughs> Uh, but uh, these people for just specific, uh, aspect for preservation and then some of them also 
some of the reasons why these games can't come back are just stupid business reasons. And it's just, we don't know who owns it. Well, guess what? If we don't know who owns it and no one's coming to claim it, I say after a certain point in time, guess what? It's public domain now. And you can do whatever the hell you want with it. <laughs> so let me let me ask you a couple questions so here. Now. <laughs> let me ask you a couple questions here because emulators are a partial solution where we can still enjoy those games. Yes. But there's a problem with emulators, is yes. they are not the original hardware. Um, and that and that's what an emulator literally is. It is basically functioning to make a program think that it is running on the hardware that is supposed to be designed to run that thing. And it's not always perfect. Hmm. Now, there has been some great things done with emulators, like I love the rewind function on some of the Switch games, and it's especially useful in, like, you know, games that are balls hard, like Ninja Gaiden and stuff like that. But, right. you know, and and that's really cool. But there are also some other games that it's just like, wow, I can see why this took you so long as to never why you uh, didn't re-release it. <laughs> well, and sometimes the emulators are too good. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we were we were talking earlier about speedrunners with Metroid. Mm -hmm. and like the original NES game of Metroid, mm -hmm. it would have slowdowns. It would have glitches based on how fast it was processing the game at certain points. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then yeah, you hit a certain number, hurts hit a certain number of enemies on the screen. <laughs> and now it slows to an ass grinding crawl. Now if you have an emulator that's too good, it doesn't miss a beat. No, it doesn't. And uh, what also has kind of hurt with emulators is that, well, especially for the really older games, you know, like NES, Super NES, Sega Genesis, uh, there was always expected to be a level of graininess or fuzz on the screen to help kind of blur some of the detail work. And so that way things looked. That's why some people are like, you know, yeah, it's pixel perfect now. But at the same time, now you can see how some sprites were just literal garbage. You know, it just looked good because on the hardware at the time, that's why it worked so well. And that also has led to some frustrations with some people because, you know, sometimes Mario is now like stretched and it's not, you know, it's not pixel perfect. Well, the original never was either. So, uh, well, no, not that they're saying it's not pixel perfect. It's just it is pixel perfect now. Just, it can like, but it also can lead to things being like stretched out because aspect ratios and things like that. It's just there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on with it. <laughs> yeah. So I want to kind of take a deeper look here of possible solutions for game mm -hmm. preservation, and I want to approach it from different angles. I 100% agree that some of these we need preservation uh, 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 societies to. Physically upkeep the hardware, physically mm -hmm. upkeep the old games, be able to surgically insert a new battery if they need to, so those games can still make save files. Yeah. And uh, luckily, I will say the internet has become a blessing in that regard. The, the internet is a wonderful double edged sword at times, but in that, there is a dedicated community to preserving your games. And 
luckily they've been very kind and that uh, there are groups that will, they, they make new parts for old hardware. So I've had to purchase uh, new rubber pads to replace worn out ones in NES controllers. And, mm-hmm. and they work pretty darn good. Um, the one I'm scared to death of is uh, I have a Famicom disk system. And that thing was notorious for, because what it, it basically, it was a, it was a floppy disk reader and it had, for lack of a better words, a rubber band that acted as what wound the motors and would And just, you know, after it, it really only had like a shelf life of maybe like 15 years before that thing rotted away like rubber bands do. Now, right. luckily, I purchased one. Uh, unfortunately, it's probably approaching eight to ten years as opposed to, but when I purchased my Famicom disk system, I purchased it from a reseller who actually would go in and replace those. But the problem then is then is uh, you have to work on calibrating the system back to operating condition, which sounds like an absolute nightmare but luckily uh, and he said he replaced it with a modern day equivalent with you know more made of much sterner stuff than a rubber band but at the same time though uh i i do have my concerns so i would love for you know like retron company to maybe make basically a floppy disk reader that doesn't use rubber And that is one solution that we have started to see. Uh, there, there's the analog pocket that's coming out later this year, where mm-hmm. it is the it doesn't emulate games; it straight up does the hardware. You have to physically put the cartridge in, um, and it's just got a n- much nicer screen, great recharging battery. Mm-hmm. That's one fantastic way where we can keep up with these. And the Retron company has been doing great stuff. Um, now. From my understanding, and I believe you have a, a Retron or a system like that, did right? relegated did relegated to the past tense. It it bit the bullet. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But didn't it pull the like pretty much the game file off the cart and then play it just on the system itself? No. Oh. So it had all the games built in already, but it couldn't play them. Unless it could verify that you own the game by sitting, putting the card in. Okay. Interesting. It makes me wonder, though, that if, like, uh, I remember we were playing around with, like, Pokemon Blue on it or something. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder if we plugged in Pokemon Blue, played it on that, made a save file, and then took our cartridge elsewhere. Would the, it would not be on there. Oh, <laughs> boo. <laughs> because it was not actually reading or writing to that cart. Okay. Now, it was just reading. Was that an actual Retron system? Yes. Okay. Uh, so, hmm, that's interesting. I will have to read up on that. I, I have something different, actually, myself, because I keep and keep all of my old stuff in old working order. I uh, I don't keep it plugged in all the time. I I pull things, you know, out when I'm not using them, and I have them stored in a uh, a closet downstairs, you know, away from light, mm-hmm. and uh, I try to keep a dehumidifier running down there. But uh, that's me. Um, not most people aren't going to do that. Uh, I do have a 
device called a Super Retrocade. And what that is, is that uh, it took a bunch of old classic arcade games and put it basically, it's basically like a Raspberry Pi, you know? Okay. And, uh, yeah, especially with arcade games, that's where I feel emulation can be. That's where I accept it because there are some games that are just completely out of my hands, unable to play because... I don't have the space to own a video arcade in my home. And some of these games, the company is not actively making them anymore. Arcades have kind of died. And so it's not like the company is actually making revenue off these games. It's just these games that are basically being passed from private collectors to private collectors, some of which are arcades, some of which are private individuals for their own collection. So I don't mind having those games. And if it ever does come up as a possibility for me to buy it, well, then I'll happily do so and then delete the file off of my... Uh, because what was cool about the Super Retrocade is that it also had an SD card reader in the back. Now, they didn't tell you what it was for. They just thought, oh, we'll do future expansion. All it really was was that basically the Super Retrocade was a main machine. And... So you could put emulators for games on there, plug that card into the back. You didn't really need, even need like the startup main files or anything. Just put them on there and then boop, 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 there it goes. And it would start up. So I would put arcade games that have long since been out of print on that thing that I would otherwise not have access to. And it worked pretty, pretty perfectly. So, um, I mean, I have the uh, the Aliens versus Predator game by Capcom, uh, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, uh, The Adventures of Bucky O'Hare, you know, games that we played at Galloping Ghost, but by other yeah. no other means would we have access to. Yep. Yep. Here's another game that is in kind of a peculiar spot. Metal Gear Solid 4. Mm-hmm. So that game is a PS3 exclusive. Mm -hmm. Yes. And as we know, one day... Well, I, did they say that they're, they, they're going to release a patch where once the battery dies for the clock, if the servers ever go offline for it, um, where they'll still play the games if you have the disc? You know, I don't know. I know we discussed that, that basically some devices are doomsday clock, and... I know for the PS3, it sounded like if you have the discs, you'll be fine. But if you uh, downloaded, so your downloadable games are what are going to be uh, the issue. So this leads back to the idea I just said, you know, downloaded games, you know, here you go. We're shutting things down, but here's what you can do. Because you're right, these things do unfortunately have a shelf life. And not all the games are ever going to be you know, available on the next generation. It just doesn't happen. As I said, companies die, and then the people left remaining sit and squabble over the uh, rights for the games for forever. I mean, that's one of the reasons why some of these games get so popular and so expensive and so rare is because they were great games, but as far as opportunities to play them legitimately... If you're not one of the people who like to do emulators, which I really don't, it's just mm -hmm. I consider arcade games my one gray area 
because there's no possible way for me to own them. So unless so, unless it's like a uh, you know in, in in like a downloadable aspect. So like uh, examples like that, like the Capcom Dungeons and Dragons games. Yeah, they were re-released those for the Wii U. I deleted them off the RetroCade and I bought them for the Wii U. So that's fine. But Aliens vs Predator. Capcom talked about it once recently where they were going to release like a best of Capcom arcade plug into your TV thing that was going to look like a giant Capcom logo. And I never heard about that again. <laughs> I thought that came out. I did it. I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to look into that later. Yeah, we'll look um, into that later. <laughs> so maybe it's probably a thousand dollars. So to my point, though, and maybe that wasn't the best example of the game. Let me go to a different mm. game. Mm-hmm. Metroid Red just came out, and it's going to get a bunch of new people interested in Metroid for the first time. That's true. You know? uh, mm-hmm. So Nintendo does have their online uh, where you can play Metroid and mm-hmm. Super Metroid. Mm-hmm. How would someone who's just finding, like, say you had an eight uh, an eight year old today, mm-hmm. has their Switch, uh, discovering Metroid? And I want to go back and experience Metroid Fusion because that story leads into this one. Yeah. Um, How would they go back and play it? Well, uh, that is a good point. Uh, the only thing I can remember Metroid Fusion being uh, re-released for is I believe wasn't Fusion part of, and this was only if you were a uh, 3DS the ambassador, ambassador program. Yep. Yeah, and uh, which was nice, but at the same time, I believe that was the only time they offered it. Now. Uh, we can double check here, and now and luckily, uh, Game it Boy might have Advance. Come, it might have come to the Wii U as well. Okay, let let me just double check. But luckily, uh, one of the benefits of GBA cartridges is just really only the first couple uh, mm-hmm. had battery backed cartridges, and the rare few that did afterwards, um, they really only. Uh, used them for like clock based or timing based features. So of course like all of the Pokemon games uh had mm-hmm. batteries in them, but most others they didn't need them. And so save files uh were written to them like it would be for like a flash drive. So right. that's nice. So those will last a good bit longer than uh older cartridges. So if a kid really did want to get interested in Metroid Fusion, um, and I'm Metroid Fusion re-release, uh, not Metroid Fusion release. I'm trying to see if it was ever Metroid Fusion on Wii U. Oh, yeah, it was. It was released on Wii U for digital. So there's an option. But you're right, though. Like, if you didn't know that, it was on Wii U. And here's the thing. Uh, the Wii U wasn't popular. So, you know, here's the yeah. thing. Also, it means, like, it's not on Switch. So it means, oh, I've got to buy a Wii U. Well, actually, that's getting kind of hard to do. Because uh, some people are kind of finding, hey, the Wii U, yeah, it didn't sell well. But it wasn't. it was, doesn't mean it wasn't fun. Kind of like the Dreamcast. Yeah. And uh, so other than that, your options were then, okay, I could buy a uh, a DS that would play Game Boy games, 
I could buy an old school Game Boy, or I could try as hard as I could to find a GameCube with a Game Boy player that has the disc that makes the Game Boy player work. Now that yep. disc is the hard part. <laughs> so there's another hard part here, Dave. So yeah. there has been a rampant rise in fake Game Boy and Game Boy Advance cartridges. Yes, I have been caught by this a couple of times. Not not many, but a couple. <laughs> so this kind of really gets to the root of my question here is even if someone wanted to get the original, they want to go mm -hmm. and buy a, a Game Boy and pay an astronomical amount. Cool. Mm -hmm. They want to buy the game, which by the way, uh new with box or with the box opened right now is going anywhere between $160 and uh, $240 on eBay. Okay, that's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it's not great. Well, but... Yeah, but this is, again, our hypothetical here is like an eight-year-old. Mm -hmm. There's no eight-year-old that's going to be able to drop that money. And yeah. that is an integral game to the story. Yeah, it is. It really is. It it details the uh, the fall of the Metroids and the rise of the X-Parasite, basically. Yeah, um, and so what should game companies do to keep these old games relevant, to keep them in the ecosystems where the new generations still have access to them. Well, unfortunately, the problems with video games is that it's both art and uh, a business at the same time. So the problem we have is that if there's the opportunity to make a buck, they will always go with that opportunity to do so. I don't recall many philanthropic. Uh, video game groups uh, or, you know, public domain kind of situations with video games. Gee, thanks, Disney. You know? <laughs> that stupid um, mouse. I would, I would hope that, especially as things get older, now, luckily, we do live in a time where um, it's starting to get to the point where especially with things on the internet, nothing is ever truly gone if it's been online. Uh, you search long and hard enough, you'll eventually find it again. Um, that doesn't mean it's easy. Um, but the problem is we have these games that are uh, stuck to dedicated hardware. And luckily, there is a group of game conservationists out there. I wish they could be more legitimized and... But I think some companies have done really well. Like, for example, I believe back in the day, I believe what it was was me and my brother were actually looking forward to Duke Nukem Forever coming out finally. <laughs> Terrible game, but... Um, there was a time. There was a time, you know, before we knew. But I believe we were looking on, like, the old 3D Realms website from the... Uh, that time period, like, you know, 2008 or whatever it was. And I believe for those games, though, that were old enough, though, and they really weren't making any money, they had just released them for free on their website to download with the source code so you could, you know, mod it, do it what you wanted with it, or not making any money off of it. This is just some goodwill. That is, in my, that, that's the perfect world example. Not many companies want to do that, because, right? There's always the ones that are just like, hey, nostalgia's big right now. Nostalgia's big all the time, okay? 
but you know we can you know what can we do put metric fusion as a free download or could we uh, according to Nintendo's website charge eight dollars for it <laughs> now granted eight dollars for metric fusion that's a darn good deal actually yeah. um but, but still, again, like you said that's on the wii u not their current mm-hmm. gen console there's no way to play it on any console you could go out and buy today and in those cases, I would love that they basically would make a program. And it seems like we are taking a step in this direction, that if you had it on your previous console, especially when it seems now that so much of the hardware is and the, the systems are based on the infrastructure of the past system, that they're just now building and expanding more and more and more on that. So basically, it's just like, Oh, you have this on PlayStation 4. Now you have it on PS5, which was great for me this past week when I put mm-hmm. Street Fighter 5 on my PS5. I wanted, you know, the better frame rates and such. So I was just like, eh, what do I got to do to get this on my PlayStation 5? Oh, I upload the save data to the cloud and then just plug the disc in. Great, done. <laughs> Xbox does something uh, similar uh, with theirs. It doesn't have the hardware to play. Uh, Xbox or Xbox 360 games. But mm-hmm. what it does do is it has an emulator for Xbox and Xbox 360 games. So if you either own it digitally or put the disc in, it will emulate that game for you. That's an excellent way to do that too. And my question is though, and I've never got quite a clear answer on this. I, I do have to wonder though with games from the Xbox era especially. Now if you own the da- the game physically... No matter what it is, could you put it in that? Uh, the, no. Or is no, it a they, limited number? <laughs> the, it, is a, it is a very large number, but it is limited. Yeah, and so that's the thing that gets me. And so I would hope, and again, it's just, it's business. And I, I hate that answer. Um, it's caused issues with a lot of stuff over the years, especially in, like, for nerdy hobbies. Like, um... I mean, it's happened with comic book, like a lot of the comic book companies that you know, just blew up in the 90s at the beginning when it's just like, oh, comic books aren't so much for just nerds. Now it's an investment for, you know, my future because, you know, Superman number one sold for how much? I mean, well, now Superman, you know, the death of Superman, well, that could sell just as much. And then, uh, no, it didn't because companies were basically just printing this to sell just, you know, mm-hmm. for that collective. And then it collapsed in itself, and these companies went with it. So now we've got uh, companies that the rights to the characters are so muddled and so muddy that they literally just the the you trying to use these characters has become an become an almost an utmost impossibility just because the set of circumstances. Like uh, off the top of my head. Uh, using the comic crash of the 90s for an example, uh, I was, again, when, going back to an older podcast, I, I told you we were Mortal Kombat heads. Uh, I loved the Mortal Kombat comic book by Malibu Comics. I can now tell you, as uh, a 36-year-old, it was objectionably terrible, terrible but I still love them. Um, Malibu Comics had its own set of superheroes. Now, oftentimes, when uh, companies would buy out a company, a comic publisher, they would then get those characters. DC has done it for years. That's how they got 
Shazam. That's how they got actually Peacemaker, because Peacemaker was a character from Carlton Comics, which DC purchased, I believe, in the 80s. And uh, that actually, that's another podcast, though. But then they would receive those characters. Now, for Malibu, though, Marvel bought them, but because of the way that the rights had all panned out, Marvel literally cannot use those characters without doing an astronomical amount of homework as well as paying out of money because of the way like the original uh, contracts were constructed. And it's just like, at that point, it gets to the point, it's just like, why bother? They, they like, can't even reprint the material. And that's what really makes me mad, stuff, especially gaming. It's just... There wasn't enough forethought to think, hey, what happens when, you know, we made this great thing, we want to see it, uh, and it's going to stand the test of time, but what happens if we don't do so well in the future and we go away? Some companies I have seen work on this, and it's worked out. Some companies haven't. Uh, Data East, a really big prominent publisher in the 90s and uh, the uh, 80s. They're not around anymore, but they're constantly, their games are featured on these, especially like on my on my retro supercade, like their games are on there. Mm-hmm. I know that they managed to work it out. So I don't know if it's so much as that they are operating as a company, but it is operating as like a license. And so as long as you license that, it's just like, boom, here's the Data East library of games. And that's something to work on. I know Capcom for a while in the early 2000s was in pretty dire straits. They were not doing well. And so what they started doing is they started slowly shifting some assets over from uh, Capcom, you know, company LTD to Capcom USA under that umbrella. So if you look actually at all street fighter related merchandise they still own technically the street fighter label even though you know it's a multinational company but to save their own butts just in case capcom as a company folded capcom usa was doing well enough that they could you know still hold it's like okay we still got street fighter guys you know right and yeah uh Another situation was uh, with SNK. Uh, they were going under. The former uh, guy who founded the company jumped ship a year before they left, founded a new company specifically with the purposes of buying all of the assets of SNK after it went under. So those are my unsung heroes of game preservation and keeping all of this stuff because... They, you could tell that it's just like, we've got these cool things. We want them to remain for a long time. Capcom's good with Street Fighter in that they seem to put out an, another re-release of Street Fighter 2 every uh, other year. Like, we had that lovely 30-year anniversary collection. Oh, excuse me, not too terrible long ago. The only one it seems that they don't ever re-release is the original Street Fighter, but that's another bag of... Oh, another yep. can of worms. <laughs> There's one other one they don't ever re-release. What, Street, Street... Fighter 2010? <laughs> yes, yes. 
Actually, though, I do believe that the Street Fighter 30th Anniversary Edition did have the original Street Fighter, but the problem with that one is that yes. was the that one had the uh, pressure-sensitive buttons. So instead of having low punch, medium punch, and strong punch, it was push button lightly, push button medium, push button hard. And so you know that is really hard to transfer over to modern-day buttons. <laughs> In theory, couldn't you do it to the analogs, uh, the analog triggers? You you could, but what a pain in the butt that would be! <laughs> yeah, let's go play Street Fighter the shooter. <laughs> right, <laughs> Street Fighter with Luigi's Mansion controls. <laughs> that, that's the episode title. <laughs> Street Fighter with Luigi Mansion's controls. Yep. So I do see some good stuff. I also see some terrible stuff. Like, again, Kingdom Hearts. Hey, guys, guess what happened? We totally deleted that. <laughs> I'm getting fired. Yeah, you should for something that stupid. Honestly, that's probably part of the reason why uh, Kingdom Hearts is uh, cloud only on the Switch is because they had to rebuild it but they rebuilt it um, where it was too much for the Switch to handle. If it was still just the PS2 version, the Switch could have been able to handle that graphically no problem. Actually, uh, one of the guys who runs Limited Run Games chimed in on that. And oh, he yeah? said, yes, he said, look, you know, porting a game is not as easy as people make it sound. Uh, because sometimes just the hardware structure is so different. It's not like click, drag, oh, now it runs on Xbox. No, it's not like that. So he felt, especially coming from, you know, his his whole company is running limited physical copies of pretty much digital-only games, which I love. But right. at the same, and he, and he is, you know, he is all for a preservation kind of guy. He clearly loves physical media, but he was just kind of pointing out, Look, the amount of work it would take to completely redo the engine so it would run everything like it's supposed to on Switch hardware is probably more time, effort, and money than it is worth than to just release these uh, online cloud versions, which functionally will do the job that they want. Now, does that mean I'm going to go jump out and buy Kingdom Hearts stuff for Nintendo? No. Unfortunately, uh, I'm going to stick with Sony on that one. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I am very happy Sora's in uh, Smash Brothers now. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know what? Uh, I think mm -hmm. that is the one character that they could find that mm -hmm. the majority of the internet was going to be happy with or yeah. uh, or can at least content with. Yep. I did have one student this week. He's just like, the only problem I have with Sora is he's another anime sword fighter. And I'm like, if I weren't your teacher, I would slap you over the head. <laughs> no, uh, he's a Kibi sword fighter. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> but that's a, that's a different topic. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm really all for game preservation. And for those of you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, listeners, uh, watchers on YouTube, there are several other great organizations that are doing great work with game preservation. Did you know gaming uh, is one of, I would say, the best at bringing um, information about especially game preservation efforts to the forefront 
with their videos, especially on some of the more esoteric uh, gaming uh, items. Like there was a whole special video they did on basically cell phone games that have since been lost because cell phone technology, very few people have flip phones anymore. Um, they also did it on, in Japan, they had the Nintendo Satellaview system which was literally a game system that received data through radio broadcast. And that's how it would, uh, it, it, it was basically downloading a game before connecting it via your internet service. And so okay. it would do that over radio. And so there were some special Zelda games. Um, and a lot of them were just like reworked titles. But again, those have kind of been lost because there never were any physical copies, and it was this completely esoteric, oh, hey, I just made money on eBay. Hey. <laughs> oh, nice. Sorry, if you heard that lovely cha-ching noise in the background, that was me. Uh, <laughs> what's going on, Dave? Hey, my ass hit the jackpot. Yay! <laughs> um, but uh, well, but the, the satellite, it, even then, because it was so weird, you can't even play those games in the original way they were meant to. Because for the Zelda games, it was, I believe, uh, it was called like uh, The Legend of Zelda, uh, the, the Ancient Stone Tablets. And it was kind of like a reworking of A Link to the Past. I think it had a story to go with it, but it wasn't as major as other Zeldas right. have been. But with the radio broadcast, you also got radio broadcasted orchestrated music and narration. And that is gone. Yeah, that's, that's gone. Because that was like a separate file or signal that, you know, is not a part of the game file. And some of these games are gone because what you could, I hear you could say, and again, the Satellaview is completely foreign to me because, you know, we did not have that here in the States. Right. I mean, it sounds like something that shouldn't even exist, but then you hear, oh, it's Japan only. Well, of course it was. <laughs> but there was like a collection of Kirby games that Did You Know Gaming talked about, and apparently some of the mini games on that collection has been lost to time. And they like put out a kind of a all points bulletin to game collectors that, hey, if you have a Satellaview system that has these two games saved on it, this group of gaming um, uh, archivers uh, would like to talk to you about them. And so apparently you could save data to the system, but the only way to play those games now is if you have it. And so far, no one seems to have come forward. So, you know, it, and in some cases, archiving seems to be going in the proper direction. In other times, it just seems to be taking like four steps backwards. Well, tell you what, Dave, send me a list of some of these game preservation uh, uh, agencies, and we'll put mm -hmm. them in the show notes. So that way, if anyone wants to donate for them or research more about them, uh, we'll have those mm -hmm. resources there for them. Yeah, and some of them actually, um, you can actually send games to. And what they've done is they've ripped the uh, the data off of the cartridge, and then they will send it back to you. And luckily, like they have gotten so their hands on some stuff, but also 
again, they're trying to also get some of this really, really funky stuff that is just like, wow, that may like, so like they have a Kirby game that it was basically just kind of like, almost like it was the super beta for a, a super alpha gameplay of a Kirby game that was written to a cartridge and then the game was never produced and they got their hands on it. But then there are others that like, yeah, they, they know of something, but a private collector owns it and they ain't, they ain't sharing. Sharing. Yeah. 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 Um, so if anyone of our listeners has something like that, please reach out to these preservation agencies. Uh, we need to make sure that these games are shared to the future. We don't want any of this to be lost. Gaming is awesome and it is an awesome hobby and it's done great things for many people. I mean, you know, if it wasn't for video games, Tyler and I probably would not have met. <laughs> this is accurate. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Actually, that probably goes for most of the people on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and, you know, just those days of playing couch co-op and stuff like that, you know, we don't want, you know, those to go away. And especially with these games that have these long, overarching plot lines, um, it really can help, especially if, you know, a company has maybe vanished or disappeared and, and such like that. Uh, I still would love to see them try and redo the classic game Little Samson, which is probably mm -hmm. my favorite NES game of all time. But that is, again, I believe one of those that fell victim to like the original company that made it went way out of business. And I think no one knows who owns the license, so it's stuck in perpetual business limbo. But that's what's made the price for those cartridges to skyrocket astronomically. Yeah. Now, theoretically, if no one puts claim to it after like 50 plus years there, uh, couldn't it enter the public domain? I believe so. But again, with video games, since they are still considered a relatively new media compared to like novels. I know. And also, again, with Disney screwing around with copyright law for years, the way it was originally structured is that I believe it's how you say it was like it was 50 years which was considered to be long enough for the natural life of the creator, at least to make enough you know, money to be substantial for them for the time. But then Disney, you know, got involved where, you know, they wanted to Actually. label it. Since, well, yeah, they didn't want to lose Mickey, which on the one hand, I do understand. You have a company that is still actively producing works with this character they still want to own the rights to the character. However, I am more so of the opinion on how the Sherlock Holmes novels have fallen. The front number of Sherlock Holmes novels have started to fall in the public domain steadily. But that is also why most depictions of Sherlock Holmes are of him as being this kind of cold-hearted cold-hearted you know just completely logical jerk mm -hmm. whereas uh if you ever saw the movie enola holmes uh they sued that production the the uh the conan doyle estate because it showed sherlock being this much more kind of caring and brotherly individual which was a characterization of sherlock holmes that wasn't until the later novels which aren't public domain 
So I, did I not could know see this. Yeah, so that's what I would like to see because I and I get that Disney wants to hold on to Mickey, but at the same time the version of Mickey that is in Steamboat Willie is not the version of Mickey that exists now. Yeah. So I would say if I were Disney, I would I, I would let the old stuff from like the 20s and 30s be in public domain. I would probably make it though so other people can't necessarily use the Mickey Mouse to create their own stuff. But at the same time, there's no one to stop them from spreading around and reproducing the original, like, you know, 20s and 30s cartoons. Because, you know, Mickey is a treasure, but at the same time, though, he should be shared by the world. (laughs) Agreed. Mm -hmm. And should have been in Smash. Should have been in the background of Smash for for a You know, there was the theory. People are like, well, Disney didn't want to let him to use real Disney characters. And then... Nintendo didn't want to have video characters that weren't video game characters. And then I just see someone put the meme up underneath that, and it's from El Dorado, and the two guys going, both? Both? Both. Both is good. Both, yeah. Both is good. That, so, last thing for the night here, because I think we've gone great into this uh, concept yeah, yeah. of... Um, this is probably one of the best conversations you and I have had in a while. <laughs> I, I think so, yes. Yes, I, I'm very excited about this what one. What conversation do you talk about on the podcast? Video game preservation and the history going behind that, as well as other media franchises and Nickelodeon Smash Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> so, two things I want to share, because let me kind of jump off the preservation, going off of Disney there. I've been listening to Press Reset, the new book by Jason Schreier about the video game industry. And he was talking about Epic Mickey and, you know, the Warren Spector created game. Yeah. When Warren Spector got hired, when they started the project for Epic Mickey, mm-hmm. Disney longer had the rights to Oswald, the, the villain of that game. I know. Uh, that is a story in itself, too. Mm-hmm. I found out about that. Um, oh, cool. So I'm checking how much money I made on eBay. No, um... You're right, because when he did Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, it was under a different company, mm-hmm. and Oswald, eventually the rights landed with Universal. Yep. Disney had since wanted those back, and quite literally, they traded one of like the most popular sports announcers to Universal for all of the Oswald the Lucky, Lab- Lucky Rabbit rights. And honestly, yep. I think that was the better part of the deal. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that was very interesting. Oh, it is. Uh, it's fascinating. Yeah, the dark side of what goes behind, uh, behind the scenes of your favorite uh, media. <laughs> yep. And then last thing, and then we'll wrap it up here. So Sora's coming to Smash. I'm very excited about that. And I was joking Same. about, you know, no Disney characters. But there mm-hmm. is one thing that feels missing Mm -hmm. due to copyright issues like we've been talking about the song simple and clean is not included yes that is true and uh now the one thing is uh now i know uh the singer uh, what is her 
Utada Hikaru, and I probably just butchered that name fantastically. I can understand that. They licensed that song from her. However, I right. know the tune uh, from Simple and Clean is also the main orchestral theme to the original game. Uh, is that version in the game? Nope. I didn't think so. Hmm. Nope. That is surprising, because that is the one I still hum to this day, because it was so catchy. And I still have the uh, the lovely version from all of the early 2000s commercials on my uh, on my Sony Walkman. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I know. Cool. Yeah. This is an MP3 player. Oh, crap. I said my last name. <laughs> That'll be a nice little Mr. Beat Dave. <laughs> Mr. Dave using his Sony Walkman in class. <laughs> to play uh, uh, Daft Punk and the the soundtrack to Persona Five, <laughs> great soundtracks. Uh, I have been meaning to put together uh, a, a video game like best like vocal sounds uh, songs album for myself. Oh yeah. Oh. Uh, oh, I've long I have, since done that. <laughs> well, I've been listening to some of the hit bangers from uh, the Metal Gear Solid series. Oh, like Snake Eater. <laughs> Snake Eater, the love theme for Metal Gear Solid 4, uh, mm -hmm. Quiet's theme, uh, Sins of the Father for Metal Gear Solid 5. Mm -hmm. You haven't played 5? No, I haven't played 5. I'm sorry. I know. Okay, Dave, I, I don't, say this No, for, no, this is what we're going to do. We're going to wait. Until it hits the new year, we're all going to recommend each other their brand new game for the new year, and you can tell me to play Metal Gear Solid 5 then. <laughs> I am going to cheat to get your name to force you to play that game. That's it may not fine. Be, it may not be the best story-wise, <laughs> but it is a 12 out of 10 gameplay-wise. That's what I hear. And I also managed to finally snag the... Uh steelbook for it that someone included the uh the dvd in which apparently has like the true ending on it mm -hmm. and like the special features so i think i will get the full story or at least as much as much as, as they close. were willing to publish yeah and most and most of that's on youtube as well if you didn't have it on there but yes mm -hmm. fine okay tyler cheat to win my name <laughs> Our listeners might not know what we're talking about. So, okay, real quick, before the end, we promise yeah. it's the last thing. I, I know this yep. podcast has probably gone on much longer. Okay, so at the end of last year, and normally we had been pretty good for years about getting each other Christmas gifts and stuff like that. But with people moving and with people having families now, you know, little and ones the coming pandemic. the picture. And the pandemic. Uh, it just became easier this year rather than try and spend a bunch of money on us friends. Yeah, it became easier to buy a six pack and give that as a gift when we came for a party, but then also to recommend the game that a person had to play at the beginning of the new year, starting in January uh, as their first game of the year. And they had to play it, you know, I, it didn't necessarily mean that that everyone beat their game, but they had to at least give it the good college try. So I, for example, uh, Chris gave me Ghost of Tsushima to play. I loved it and platinumed the hell out of it. <laughs> but uh, 
So that's what I'm telling Tyler he should do. He should cheat to get my name this year so I have to play Metal Gear Solid 5. <laughs> yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. I forget. That, what did you get? <laughs> uh, you gave me a uh, Hellblade. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Which was very right. good. Yeah, that was very. That's a good game. Uh, I don't think Doug ever beat uh, River City Girls. Though. Girls, no. <laughs> I think he just but got it, frustrated eventually. <laughs> that is a fun game, though. Oh, well, he said it was. He just said it just eventually. It's not like the arcades. You can't pump any more quarters into it to just keep living. <laughs> no, I think I think there comes a point, though, where it really becomes beneficial to have a second player with you. Gotcha. Yep. Mm. And they just announced the sequel. Yep, I did see that. All right. So but, that's what we were talking about, recommending a game for the new year. <laughs> yep. So, Dave, as always, it's been a pleasure. And until mm. next time, ladies and gentlemen, game on. Game on, everybody. <laughs>